Welcome to the Dare to Multiply podcast. On this podcast, we help passionate Jesus followers become courageous, obedient disciples who impact their communities for the kingdom of God. I'm your host, Cynthia Anderson, a disciple multiplication coach and trainer. I'm going to show you how to make and multiply disciples in your area. God's got great things ahead for you. Let's dare to multiply. What is the real problem? Why is it that it's so hard to start a disciple multiplication movement or a DMM in the United States or in Western Europe? What is the real problem? Well, today I am interviewing, talking with Roy Moran, who is a pioneer, one of the first who really went after DMMs in the Americas. He's learned a lot of things through the journey and come to some really interesting conclusions that you are going to want to hear. So we'll be right back with that in a minute. Are you busy but not seeing the fruit you long for? Dissatisfied with your present level of impact on those around you? Are frustrated with traditional methods of discipleship that don't seem to be effective? If so, the Getting Started in Disciple Making Movements course may be just what you need. Inside the Getting Started program, you'll get access to a step-by-step proven approach to making and multiplying disciples. Not only will you receive 25 short and practical video teachings spread out over six modules, but you'll have a chance to connect with others for group coaching via our monthly Zoom calls. And even more importantly, you'll become part of a global community of like-minded people from all over the world who are passionately committed to following Jesus and impacting others around them. If you want to get unstuck and begin moving forward as a disciple who makes disciples, I encourage you to go to courses.dmmsfrontiermissions.com and sign up for this powerful program today. And now to today's episode. Well, welcome. Welcome, Roy, to the Dare to Multiply podcast and everyone who's listening and watching, those of you who watch on YouTube. And yeah, it's just such an honor to have you on the call, Roy. Again, this is my second time to interview you, and I've never met you in person, just here on camera. But <laughs> one day we're going to have to meet because Kansas City is so... Yeah. Well, Cynthia, thanks yeah. so much. I appreciate so much your diligence, uh, you know, that... The, the, the staccato nature of just continuing to get this message out, you know, discipline, you know, and just persistence of, of helping people understand that there's a different way of gospeling. It's a, it's a real uh, privilege to, just to stand in the stream that you're putting out. Oh, well, it's an honor, an honor to have you. And for those of you who don't know Roy, which many of you may already, but um, Roy is one of the, the pioneers, I would say, in attempting disciple-making movements in the United States and um, now leads thousands of people who are doing disciple-making movements all around the world. And I'll let you tell more about yourself, but just from my side, highly respected colleague and somebody that um, I've learned a lot from in the past, read all your books, Roy, so I recommend all of his books. and. Just really an honor to have you here again, talking about how to multiply disciples at home and abroad. 
And uh, yeah. for Roy, that's the United States. Um, but for me, that's Thailand. So where's home for you? It doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> At home exactly. and abroad, we want to see the kingdom go to all nations. And so, yeah. Roy, um, such a privilege to have you. Tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself for those who won't know you and how you got started on this journey of multiplying disciples and daring to multiply, not just add disciples. Yeah, so, um, you know, it, it started with a, a real clear uh, passion for seeing people who are far from God uh, connect and, and be a part of his family. And uh, so we started a church uh, in the north suburb of Kansas City, Missouri. And, and we were slightly successful, you know, seeing hundreds of people come, come to faith and being baptized. But um, as we were doing that, we really felt like, you know, that maybe um, God wanted to do something bigger. And so we started asking the question, is there anybody who could teach us a scalable model of, of gospel ministry? And so we looked around the U.S. and we saw a lot of different models, but none of them scaled. Really. They all were sort of built around uh, dependencies on uh, highly trained leadership or uh, heavy in resource you know, buildings and, and, and money being spent to do things, media and that kind of stuff. And so we kept looking and, and uh, it led us overseas. Uh, I stumbled into a, an article online that mentioned a guy by the name of David Watson. And uh, so I started reading. I as I was searching on the internet, uh, this was back in the mid 2000s, you know, 2005, six, something like that. And um, I saw um, David Watson's had a blog and a guy by the name of David Brudrick from South Africa pops up. And I was on my way to South Africa. And so I contacted David Brudrick and I said, hey, uh, I'd love to meet with you. I'm, I'm sponsoring a training some people and would you come down and, and, and help work in that training with me you know I know, don't know you from Adam I really liked what you said in your blog post and, and so I'd love the chance to, to, to meet you and, and get to know who you are and what you're doing and so David came down and we spent the weekend together and uh, David introduced me to City Team International uh, or City mm -hmm. Team at that time uh, San Jose Rescue Mission that was involved with uh, the team of people that ultimately uh, the book miraculous movements was written about and uh, they took me in like an orphan um, and began to fill my mind with crazy thoughts about what could happen and what was happening there and uh, helped me understand multiplicative disciple making and and uh, you know how to help people learn to start their spiritual journey with a call to obedience rather than a call to faith um, and I, it just it just all started to make sense. And it's almost as if um, God had uh, created a perfect type thing. There were th these three streams coming together because I'd always felt like, and it was, maybe it's my upbringing, my, my father was an enlisted man in the U.S. military. And I always had this, uh, this sense of uh, that average, everyday people uh, could do extraordinary things. Man, so, <laughs> that's one of my mantras. I love that. <laughs> and, and, and that was yeah. that was instilled because I saw my father, who was who, who was you know, 
uh, finished the ninth grade, got his GED, and went on to have a very successful career in the military and lead lots of people and do lots of amazing things. And so um, that, that was bubbling up. And, and I'd, I'd grown up in a theological stream that really um, felt like um, that, that, that didn't have to be professionals in the game. Um, mm. and, and so that matched with that that kind of thing, and then as a result of, of that, and then meeting these these uh, this miraculous movements team or the what's now called new generations, um, you know those those guys just uh, really baptized me, let me travel with them, you know, hundreds maybe thousands of hours of windshield time um, traveling to remote places, watching, seeing, you know experiencing training and all those kinds of things. And it just, it, 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 it just sort of lit a fire in me to say, okay, uh, happened there. Why can't it happen here? Mm. And so we began as a leadership team at, at Shoal Creek to, uh, to recraft our mindsets uh, mm. around understanding what it would be like for the gospel to move away from us rather than have mm. to, have this ministry that was just built on forcing people to come toward us to engage in this whole gospel message. And mm. uh, so it's, it's been a long and a much, much harder uh, road than I ever thought it would be. Um, and, but it, a very rewarding one at that mm. to, to really see people begin to plant the gospel where they live, learn, work and play and see these biblically flourishing communities rise up um, and, and so this, this idea of people always coming to a space on a Sunday morning uh, for their primary spiritual sustenance um, just started to go out the window, you know, and this mm. idea of, mm. of helping people understand that where they put their feet on the ground when they get out of bed in the morning is really the, the space where God wants to be alive and effective with them and through them. And uh, Amen. so Amen. we just been crafting it. You know, we've got a very creative space at the, the, the church I started, Shoal Creek, started out of the Willow Creek movement. So we were already a little bit, you know, off in, in a sense, off the main beaten path. And as we started, you know, restructuring things and rethinking things, it was easy for us because we didn't really uh, have a lot of musical worship on Sunday morning. And mm. uh, so... We, we didn't appeal to, to believers coming from the church up the street or down the freeway or whatever. Um, they just didn't find us to be appealing. And uh, right. so, so you didn't have that kind of attractional model appeal that. Well, was, yeah, yeah, it was attractional to a different crowd, you know, to a different sense. crowd. I mean, right. Yeah. Sure. When, when people would, would come, Christians would come that say that oftentimes and still even to this day, um, they come, you know, sort of dressed up and and holding a big bible um, they're more than likely to leave um during the service and and to say to some of our uh, our guest relations staff on the way out this is not this is not church you know and it's like well we actually take that as a compliment because to the most people who are far from god church does not feel good um mm. it, it's not a good feel you know mm. uh, but mm. that's more of a, they're, they're experiencing cultural church they're not experiencing ecclesia that jesus talked about yeah. Mm, um, yeah. Wow. So, so much to dig find, into. 
that you've already said, Roy. I'm gonna I'm gonna have you pause because I want to highlight a couple of things you've said and what you've said so far, and and just yeah. kind of put an exclamation point on them. You know, you talked about it. You search for a scalable model. Um, you wanted to see something that could grow without all the money and you know buildings and all of that. But um, then you also said something really interesting. You talked about a shift from calling people only to faith, but also to obedience. Um, I wanted to just kind of pinpoint that and ask a quick question about it, because some people might hear that and think that that means that you believe we're, you know, we're calling to people to be saved by works, um, which I, I know you're not saying. <laughs> but would you just clarify a, a moment about that? Sure, sure. Well, you know, it, it starts with Jesus in a sense is that, um, Jesus's first call to his followers was basically obedience. He said, follow me. Um, it, it wasn't believe in me. Um, it, it wasn't a, a list of things that they were supposed to, you know, confess to. It was just that follow me. It was obedience. And Jesus is very clear, you know, in the New Testament when he says, if you love me, you know, you'll do what I say. And so there's this sense in which uh, when the father speaks, uh, his children hear him. And, and they respond because there is a, a relationship uh, that gets built uh, in, in a person's soul that allows them to, to hear their father and respond to him. So, um, you know, we, we tend to, in, in, in the modern Christianity world, we, we tend to have this law and grace thing. And, and we, we are so concerned about, you know, uh, works and faith and that kind of stuff. And, and I think we've gotten, we, we've really maybe gotten it out of kilter a bit. We haven't really you know, sat down and listened to Jesus um, and, and what he said, uh, because he was very clear numerous times, you know, when he told his disciples, you know, that, that really, if you love me, you'll do what I say. Um, mm -hmm. And, and so mm -hmm. I, I don't earn that relationship with God. God comes after me. He comes and he makes it possible for me to even relate to him. Um, I can't gain that in any way, but, but genuinely responding to the call of God is to, to hear him and, and to do what he says. And so uh, that, that the beauty of that, I think is found, you know, in, in the disciples themselves as, as, as they continue to relate to Jesus and, and this idea of Jesus came to cause us to redirect our allegiance. Uh, mm. We have a we have a natural allegiance to ourselves, mm. um, natural allegiance to build a life that just sort of self protects and and finds the kind of the peace and joy and that kind of stuff that I want that I think I need. And mm. and Jesus comes and says, look, I'm your creator. I made you. I wired you. I know how you can be fully human uh, if you mm. will follow me and, and, and hear me and do what I say. And so this idea mm. of changing our allegiance from ourself to Jesus, you know, is, is really the, the, the first step, you know, in, in being a family member. Um, and, mm. and, and, understanding my true calling, you know, to be a child of the father. Mm, yeah. You know, it's so interesting, your terminology there, because I've definitely thought before about that shift of allegiance, um, particularly, you know, here working with Buddhists, we've worked with so many Hindus and uh, people of uh, Muslims and, 
And we, you know, what we often are are looking for is a shifting of allegiance from those, you know, from their their the gods they worshipped before sure. to an allegiance to Christ. But I've never really thought about the allegiance to self. And I think you hit it on the head. I mean, that's so true with especially Western Christians, but all of us as humans, you know. Even before we have an allegiance to um, a religion, where we have this allegiance to ourselves that has to die and has to shift mm -hmm. to Jesus, and that's the call. Yeah. You know, come follow me, make me your Lord. Let me, you know, walk in my way, and um, not not pray a little sinner's prayer and um, get your ticket to heaven kind of thing, which is so much, uh, you know, what what Christianity and evangelism has been about in the past, and. Uh, I think we're all growing and learning in that area. So yeah, thanks for clarifying that. And um, uh, yeah, there was one other thing I noticed. Yeah, when you were talking about your story was you learned by being with practitioners and people mm -hmm. were doing it. You went after that. You you wanted to learn from them. You wanted to be with them and see what they were doing. And I just think that's so key because so much of what we're talking about is not theory. It's got to be yeah. caught. and. And it, you know, you extended yourself to go find some people, learn from them, be with them. You talk about windshield time. That's a new term for me. But yeah, you know, ride on the back of the motorcycle with somebody or sit in a car and shadow them yeah. and learn and watch. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. I love that. So key. And that's what Jesus did with his disciples. That's how he taught and trained them. So I wanted to put kind of a, a highlight on that. And then you talked about the gospel moving uh, you know, people moving away from the church rather, you know, and the gospel in their community um, mm -hmm. rather than only bringing people into the church building for their um, spiritual experience. And so, so key, some of the things you said there. Um, and yeah, and then you wrote a book at some point in that journey. So you you wanted to talk about it. You wanted to write about it. You want, wrote, um, I think your first book, right, was Spent Matches. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. And um, just a classic DMM. I recommend it highly. It's uh, It's been out for a few years, but it's still yeah. so, so rich and good yeah. and so meaningful. But um, you said, you know, it's been harder than you thought it would be. Um, what are some of the difficulties you've faced and what have been some of the keys both to overcome those and also to persevere in the midst of that journey, I think a lot of people face that. They hear all the glory stories about DMMs, disciple making, and get excited. And then they start the journey and realize, wow, this is not easy. There's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of in the trenches kind of work that has to be done. So talk about that a little bit. What has helped you overcome and also persevere? The Western mindset uh, was much more fixed than, than I had really anticipated. Uh, and, and maybe that's because I presumed that I could do something to change it. I had more competence uh, that, that I, I could bring more power to, to change people and stuff. Um, and, mm. and so humbling experience to understand that that, that fixed mindset is, is so strong. The idea of, of a professional clergy um, that, that has a privileged stance before God. Um, mm. And they do, uh, in, in many ways, um, uh, hold the keys to the kingdom. Um, and, mm. and so 
we need to follow them. We need to to uh, you know make sure we listen to them. That, that kind of stuff. Um, so what, what, when I came back, or as I started, you know, in in late 2007 and, and began to do things, I had a presumption uh, that what I was dealing with was a training problem. Mm. That if I just train people to do things differently. And so mm. if I could teach them, instead of share their faith, if I could teach them to, to be spiritually obvious without being obnoxious and invite their friends and neighbors and relatives to the table to read the Bible and discover what God has to say about life. If I could just get that kind of flywheel moving in their lives, then, then something radically different would happen. And I realized that mm. it wasn't a Problem. And, you know, it wasn't for lack of training because <laughs> I mm. have, I mean, I, I have trained thousands of people, you know, and, and uh, spent a lot of time, you know, crafting uh, training events, training experiences, all kinds of stuff. But I, I finally realized that, that it was more of a culture problem than a training mm. problem. And, and the culture that had been embedded in the Western world um, was, was really a, a culture of, um, of religious dependence. Um, it, mm. was, it was a culture of um, casual Christianity. It was a culture that, that was focused in, unfortunately, um, and driven by, not focused in, but driven by the way we presented what we call the gospel. And that we had mm. preconditioned people to think that the gospel was about you know, this, this uh, one day in Jesus's life or three days in Jesus's life when he got put to death on the cross, uh, put in a grave and he rose again. And so if I could get people to think differently around that moment in history, then their lives would be transformed. And, mm -hmm. and the fact that um, it was it was more than that. Uh, it wasn't mm -hmm. just about to, to understand that they were sinners, that Jesus died for them and they needed to ask Jesus into their life and those kind of things. But it, it was about allegiance. You know, it, it was about it. Mm. It was it came down, you know, to me to understand that I, I had to, to re-gospel people. Mm. Uh, and, it, and as I began to work with, you know, the already convinced, you know, it was it was minds to understand that, that they did not connect with the heart of their father. Um, mm. and so one of the you know passages out of Luke 15 that you're, you're very familiar with, I know that, you know, is, is that mm. the father standing at the edge of town waiting for his son to come home. We spend a lot of time helping people understand that, 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 you know, you're relating to a father in heaven, whose heart, who's, who's everything about him is living on the edge of town, waiting for his son to come home. He is so mm. desperate for home. And when you connect with the heart of the father in that way, you, you, it really radically uh, changes the way you think because it comes back to, you know, asking maybe a bigger question. And the question is, what does God want? And it's like, mm. God wants everything. from the moment that, that he entered history, he has been about creating family, Adam and Eve, mm. uh, you know, Unfortunately, that family blew up, you know, and then as we move down through, you know, Genesis, Adam, uh, Abraham and, and the idea of using a nation now to create that family and, you know, ultimately through Jesus and, and then through this thing, the ecclesia, this, these gathered, you know, children of this. And so God's always been about 
building a family and finding a, a posse of people that would join yeah. him and find his not yet, you know, children and, and introducing them to him. Um, and mm. that was, that was the gospel of the kingdom, you know, bringing heaven to earth. That is, that is what, you know, this thing is about is, is getting people's lives are transformed in, in ways that they are transforming other lives. And so I, uh, it was like I started down one path and, you know, as you well know, you know, when you first get into this, uh, it, it can get really technical. You know, there's a lot of bells and whistles to the whole DMM world and a lot of, you know, do this and don't do that. And you know, in a lot spite of, of the fact that we say it should be simple, let's keep it everything simple. <laughs> Sometimes all of our jargon and terminology yeah. can be yeah. confusing to people. Sadly, we, we really have to keep reevaluating uh, that don't we wow well, yeah, yeah. so true yeah but I, I didn't mean to interrupt you sorry about that just, just hearing you say that you know it just it, it stuns me once again I, I think about you know uh, how intoxicated i've gotten on a you know, new terminology and you know it's like a new toy and telling people they're wrong and here's the right way to do it all anyway um the, the idea, you know, of, of understanding this, the simplicity of God wanting a family and, and that mm. being at the core of why we're here, what this world is about is, is helping gather that family um, mm. came really a central theme to me to understand, you know, how do I get people to make that mindset shift, you know, from sort of traditional Christianity, which means I got my ticket punch, I'm going to heaven. And just live a good life. Love, love your husband. Love your wife. You know, treat your kids okay. Don't lie, cheat, and steal. You know, go to church once a week and all this kind of stuff. You know, and give a little money um, to to help the church and help the poor and those kind of things. And so, you know, it wasn't about you know, hey, I I am literally um, God's messenger, God's representative. You know, and just the biblical terms. I'm ambassador, royal priest, and all those kinds of things. You know, come right. to bear on. That's who I am. And that's what mm. that is. That is where life that God promised is is found. Um, mm. And being good, yeah. moral, and, and you know, a good Christian person, voting the right way, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it, it, it's found in a life of obedience with the Father, on mission mm. with Him. You know, finding yeah. His children or not yet children, and, and introducing them to Him. So, wow. uh, yeah, that, you know, I, I spent five years learning that. You know, first, it's mm. five years pounding my head against the wall. And then all of a sudden it's like, I woke up, you know, and said, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's, there, there is a heart to the message that, that I feel like I had missed. And I think mm. a lot of modern let me, Christianity. Let me just uh, backtrack a little bit. Cause you just mentioned five years in this process you were going through. We kind of started out with this question. How did you continue to persevere and pursue the dream of disciple multiplication in the midst of the hard times and the, you know, the, the fact that it didn't happen as quickly as you wanted. You talk about this presumption that training was the answer, but realizing that we, we can train a lot of people, but if their, if their mindset doesn't shift, if their culture in a sense doesn't shift, we're not going to see movement. Um, and we're not going to see multiplication happen in them. And um, yeah, before we go on, I just want to ask a little bit, you know, you mentioned this word religious dependence 
And I think that's an interesting term. I, I want to put a pen in it for my own. I wrote it down, religious dependence. And, um, you know, we're not supposed to be dependent on religion or people. We're supposed to be dependent on God. And and yet, you know, it's, it's really true. And I think a lot of Protestants would kind of, you know, pull back and say, wait a minute, I'm not, you know, that's what, you know, the Catholics are. They're dependent on the priest. And, and yet, uh, even as Protestants, so many times we can um, become right. dependent on our spiritual leaders to be the ones mm -hmm. that feed us, to be the ones that make yeah. decisions for us, to be the ones who are the theologians who know the truth. And we just have to mm -hmm. go ask them and get the right answers or, you know, mm -hmm. rather than being followers of Jesus uh, ourselves and recognizing the priesthood of all believers and that we are mm -hmm. royal priests, which uh, again, you know, I thought it was interesting because um, I too believe that, with, with great skills training, we still won't see movements. <laughs> we have to change mindsets. And that's what pushed me to write the Multipliers Mindset, my book. Yeah. I was like, yeah. you know, we can train people all day, but if things don't start to shift in what we believe and our mindsets and our thinking, but you use the word culture, which I, I like as well. It's not just mindset, but it's, it's our whole mm -hmm. worldview, our whole culture about the gospel. And uh, so key, what you're saying about the family, and um, you know these term these these new ways of thinking about the gospel, and not that that means those three days weren't important in Jesus' life. You know that is definitely a huge part of the gospel, but that it's yeah, not the entirety yeah, yeah. of the gospel, and um, yeah. being sure that we're presenting the fullness of that. Yeah, so yeah. so key and so important. But talk just another minute. We boy, time's going fast, but. How did you persevere beyond the five years? <laughs> uh, you know, well, you've been doing this a long yeah. time. So uh, let me let me put in a plug for your book, Cynthia, because um, the way I persevered, you know, is I I always had this sort of uh, embedded passion, I believe, spirit embedded passion that the gospel could scale, yeah. that that it scaled for you know forty fifty. 200 years, maybe, you know, something like that. Um, but I always had this idea, you know, and there were, there were tons of, of literature outside of the spiritual world that talked about scaling. So one of them was a book called Multipliers. Um, mm. So when I saw your book, The Multipliers Effect, you know, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I can't believe that she wrote that book before I did. Um, okay. <laughs> I stole your title, Roy. <laughs> I, I will gladly, you know, it's like, uh, as we both know, the, 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 you know, I say this and, and your female hearers might, you know, come after me, but writing a book is like having a baby, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it is a hard process and, and it, 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 it's painful and stuff, but but it is, it is about, you know, the mindset and, um, you know, the idea that the average um, person who follows us could, could multiply um, mm -hmm. is, is such a hidden secret. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and how we multiply, you know, it, it's, it's covered over by all the methodologies, all the bells and whistles and the professionalism and all that kind of stuff that we've built into the Western church. Um, uh, but how they multiply, you know, is, is, is really not that difficult. Um, but, you know, we have 
built in a system of religious dependency. You know, we, mm-hmm. we built in a system to depend on these leaders. So I do need to be fed. You know, I mean, the mm-hmm. average person, I mean, when we were starting Show Creek, fortunately, we, we had nailed this. You know, people would say, well, where do I go to get fed? And I said, well, my 17-year-old son standing in front of the refrigerator, and, and he asks me that question, I'm going to tell him to feed himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will teach you how to feed yourself, uh, but I will not mm-hmm. feed you. You know, And then mm-hmm. people will say, you know, well, what about Jesus when he said, feed my sheep? And I said, Let's think about this for a moment. I love to do this, you know, in a in a uh, two thirds world context because they get hilariously they, they will laugh with me about it. But you know, this idea that you know the shepherd goes out into the meadow and finds this beautiful green grass meadow, and he goes out and he brings sheep out there and he kneels down and he starts pulling grass up off you know out of the field and stuff and he puts it in his mouth and he's chewing it up and he gets it into this green messy gruel and he brings the sheep over and he opens his mouth and he just drools that green <laughs> is that what jesus meant when he said feed the sheep he said, no jesus meant that the shepherd shows the sheep where the food is and they eat mm. for themselves mm. that's what he means feed my sheep yep. and and we we have built a system in which you know people their livelihoods depend on how well they can spin spiritual truth you know in new and different ways every week so that you know they can then you know earn their living and be revered by people um and people get you know uh, are are just anesthetized you know by that because they think of that as the pinnacle of their spiritual experience um, mm. and it, it, it kills the kingdom, and the kingdom doesn't move because of that. So that whole idea mm-hmm. that you're writing about multiply mindset, you know, multiply and mindset, those two things seem to me to be like gasoline and a match, you mm-hmm. know, and, and those two things together, you know, you got something mm-hmm. beautiful. Well, thank you very much. And um, I, uh, yeah, what a compliment from such a revered author in the DMM world, really appreciate that kindness. But yeah, I, I think, I don't know about you, but it seems like to me, you know, not only is that happening, but also the, the amount of feeding is reducing at the same time, you know, so even you know, we used to have church Bible studies and things that people were feeding more, you know, in those things even. And um, as you reduce that, the necessity, the critical necessity for every Christian, whether they pursued, you know, disciple multiplication or not, to learn to feed yourself, it's not going to happen in an hour on Sunday. It's, you know, we're not going to be the kinds of followers of Jesus that are going to be able to reach our neighbors on that. You just, just can't be. Um, So somehow we've got to shift the culture. We've got to shift the mindset to, um, yeah, doing what Jesus meant when he said, feed my sheep. And so thanks so much for highlighting that. Really, really an important, um, important word to us. And I think to everyone who's listening and pastors, our job, if you're a pastor out there listening, (laughs) I happen to be also an ordained pastor, but pastor's job is to teach people to do the work of the ministry themselves to feed themselves and then to do it and to 
to cheer them on, to train them, to equip them, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So, so, so good. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, miss out on your stories, Roy. So before we get to the end of this call, give us a story. What's something great that you've heard about God doing through the ministry that you're connected with? What's God doing that our people can be encouraged and rejoice in? Well, I think one of the things we've found some great hope in is, is challenging people to think about a circle of accountability. Um, and this idea of where in your world could you draw a circle? Is it on a map, a geographical area, or is it around an affinity group? Could, could you draw a circle around something and take responsibility for lostness in that circle? Mm. Um, you know, it, it's been one of those energizing things, you know, for us as we attempted to call people into their true identity, that idea mm -hmm. of God calling them to be, you know, ambassadors, his representatives in this world, to be, you know, the temples of his spirit you know, in the midst of their neighborhood and workplace. And, um, you know, and, and so that idea, uh, and so we've seen, you know, um, like I've got a, I, I had a, a, a small group leader who really did have a great commission heart. Um, but he had a knack for attracting sort of strays, uh, especially uh, older men who'd had a lot of pain in their life. And, and, and so they met at his house on Wednesday night and they, they were there for six, seven, eight years, you know, kind of going around. And, and I don't know how many times I talked him off the ledge. You know, I said, oh, it's a greenhouse. It's, 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 it's growing something. Something's going to happen here. Let's keep praying. That God mm -hmm. something, and so then, uh, just through an, a number of of, of influences, uh, we got connected to the Clay County Jail. It's the county I live here in northern uh, Kansas City, and and uh, I just challenged him and cast a vision for those guys in that group. I said, "What if we drew a circle around the Clay County Jail, and what mm -hmm. if we said we're going to be responsible for the lostness of those three hundred and fifty men and women, you know, who reside mm -hmm. there?" Uh, um, you know, not not permanently, but they come and some of them and some of them go and some of them come again, you know, that kind of stuff. But what if we what if we attempted to plant the kingdom of God, you know, in the midst of this incarceration situation? And I have seen these men and women, or the men first, who rose up and, and this just captivated their hearts. And um, and so we go in on Mondays and Friday nights. Um, they give us uh, four hours basically, and they bring uh, four sets of cell blocks to us, each, one each hour. So we have uh, two teams. We've got eight groups that we do um, on on Monday and Friday nights, and we've started uh, a church on Saturday morning uh, where uh, their their relatives and friends as they come out built uh we've had some some friends who've taught us how to build bridges into the community for all the resources needed for for the uh, people who are trying to transition back into life and, and stuff and we've seen the gospel begin to take root in the lives of mm. these uh, former incarcerated uh, men and women and their families um and, mm. and we've seen a, a group of, of believers who are sort of on the shelf for kingdom work they they were having no kingdom benefit or, or kingdom building impact. Um, and, and all of a sudden now, you know, 
Friday nights, for instance, or night at six o'clock. Now, I'll be interested to see if they do this because as we talked before here, it's going to be really, really cold <laughs> on Friday. Right, right. Yeah. But uh, they spend an hour prayer walking the jail, you know, it's the mm. physical space around it. And, oh, and I men love and that. know that they're out there. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a small window. It's, it's really, really precious when you go down there and see you know, some of the communication mm. that takes place from the inmates. And then, you know, there some of them are inside, some of them are outside walking and praying and that kind of stuff. But, uh, and we've seen similar things. We've seen um, a couple who was embarrassed that they, they were uh, finding their way in life um, and always had a, a real great commission heart. Kids had now left and they just said, hey, we want to get serious. This last chapter of our life, we want to really invest in the kingdom. What can we do? So we sat down. We had this little exercise we do with people. Um, and it's just it just simply is a stick figure of on a paper that's divided into thirds, uh, head, hands, and, and feet. And it's like on 168 hours in a week. Uh, what do your eyes see? Uh, what do your hands do? And where do your feet take you? And we just had them spend 30 minutes listening to the to their life and just writing down all that. And then then we basically asked them to go through and, and really circle those things, really give them life uh, that really bring mm. energy to them. And, uh, and then we asked them to turn the paper over and spend some time just you know, letting God talk to them about that experience. Where is it? in that whale so as, as you know as I, I translate the great commission as you go uh in in, in spin matches so this idea is you know we're saying to them, hey as you go where does the spirit want you to focus your time and attention well they were mm -hmm. embarrassed at the fact that they played way too much pickleball that they really want to attend to people <laughs> uh, oh, no. sorry oh, no. to laugh i just started playing pickleball <laughs> Catching on I'm, I'm using it. It is. I'm using it to build friendships and ties and um and as well. But no, sorry, it just yeah. caught my ear. <laughs> so they have, way they too much pickleball. Just, I'll be careful, right? Thanks. <laughs> they drew a circle around the pickleball league that they're in. Mm -hmm. And that they play, you know, on Monday nights and Friday night or Thursday nights and, and stuff. And there's about 70, 80 people they could identify in that. And, and they just began to to lean in to see if there could be, you know, can, kingdom building impact you know, in that relationship. And so they've had a okay. discovery group already out of it. Uh, they've, they've done a lot of loving on people and investing in lives and stuff. And and so we, you know, we, we expect to see uh, a church built out of that churches, you know, that come out of that thing. Um, so, you know, just seeing, seeing that little simple idea of, of putting a, and I, I think about it, you know, in terms of, and it's what happens in, in lives, like, like for instance, people like you who've left their home country to come to a space. It's like when you put a pin in the map, um, Pretty wild things can happen, you know, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of energy that, that God can tap and mm -hmm. a lot of things he can do when all of a sudden, you know, you begin to, to focus in on a particular area and, and stuff. And so we're seeing that we've got widows in the same thing. We've got couples that are focused on marriage and realizing that a marriage could be that. We've got a, a focus on families, a focus on fathers mm -hmm. and children, just really beginning to 
think in terms of, you know, like, like many of our friends who are focused on unreached people groups, you know, it's like mm-hmm. we're thinking that way now in terms of the unreached people groupings or affinities that, that exist in my world, because many of them are, are just as lost as any place else in the world. Um, and yeah. so it's exciting to, you know, to see that kind of thing, you know, happen and, yeah. and see what happens. Um, but, and it's just, it's just the power of, of, of a relationship. I got an email today from, from a, a guy who, who's a neighbor, uh, invited them to be a part of a spiritual community. And uh, mm. he, he grew up, you know, in a, in a highly liturgical uh, type of, of of world and, and he's touched real spirituality. He's touched people who are really alive with Jesus and, and it's really beginning to affect him. You know, mm. and he just, he just, you know, he's opened the Bible for the first time. He's never had his fingerprints on the Bible in his entire life. And, wow. and you can just see and hear in his writing saying, thank you. Uh, mm. Something to me, I can't explain it, mm. you know, and, it's getting those kinds of things and you realize, man, it's really possible. Movement is possible. You know, this idea of multiplicative disciple making is possible in in the West. It's just, it's a different kind of of Christianity that's going to cause that to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So key. Wow. Our time again has gone so fast, Roy, and I could sit and talk with you for hours and I'm sure learn so, so much more. I'm going to have to have you back on, I'm sure, because there's so much more we could explore together. But yeah, this circle, draw a circle of accountability around lostness. What's your circle? Who are your people? that God has uniquely gifted you to reach, you know, and, and take a responsibility for it. Um, you know, I, I love that. And I think if we can get people to, to shift towards that in their mindset that, yeah, I have a group of people, maybe it's moms, you know, who um, are in my neighborhood, you know, and I'm, I'm a stay at home mom, or I'm a working mom, but you know, moms who take their kids to preschool and the, the preschool crowd or whatever it is, Whoever your group is, God has a group for you of people, um, lost people that he wants you to engage with. And he'll, he'll show you that as you seek him for it. I love that. So, so key and, and, and a, a real gem there that you've given us to chew on. I'm going to use that one if I can borrow it sometimes. Um, but before we wrap up, tell us how do we, how do people get in touch with you, Roy? How do people connect with your resources? And um, um, yeah, before we close. Sure. I, I, um, you know, I've got uh, a YouTube site um, that you can find under my name or Disciple Making Movements. Uh, you can email me um, at rmoran at newgenerations.org. Um, I'd be glad to, you know, interact with them and, and uh, uh, stuff. So, yeah, um, I've got a blog, roymoran.com, if they want to, you know, read all the stuff that i've written out there you know but you know it's okay we're trying to shake people up Uh, a little bit here yeah well i am uh i'm gonna be doing a q a in a few minutes actually on um how do you make people uncomfortable in a good way (laughs) 
that's an important question, an important thing to talk about. And um, I'll have to go see what you wrote about those things as well. But thank you so very much for your time, for being with me and with those who are listening today and for being a pioneer, leading the way, especially in the West, in um, believing God, daring to multiply disciples mm -hmm. where, where you are in Kansas City and around the world. And just been a real honor to have you with us. If you haven't got his book, go get it. Uh, go to his blog. We'll put those uh, links and things in the show notes. And um, yeah, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Cynthia. I appreciate you. Imagine a world where passionate followers of Jesus come together to multiply, transforming lives beyond imagination. Instead of toiling with little fruit, what if God's abundance flowed beyond your wildest dreams? Picture those you've invested in sharing Jesus freely, creating a ripple effect of disciple-making. In her new book, The Multiplier's Mindset, Cynthia Anderson reveals how shifting mindsets can revolutionize disciple-making. When Cynthia and her colleagues experienced these mindset shifts, they saw enormous results including the launching of 19 multiplying movements in Africa and Asia, transforming tens of thousands of lives. This book will help you discover hidden harvesters, see church members move from passivity to passion, and release the power of simplicity in multiplying disciples. Don't remain stuck. Learn to move toward greater fruitfulness. Visit MultipliersMindset.com and get your copy of The Multipliers Mindset today. So many lessons learned from Roy Moran. What a pioneer and father to many of us in movements. We are so grateful. And I just want to give a couple of my takeaways and a quick action step for you as we wrap up this episode. One of the things that really stood out to me was Roy said it was harder than I expected. And my assumption about what the problem was, was incorrect. He assumed the problem was a lack of training, that people just hadn't been trained, but he hadn't thought through the mindset and culture shifts that are needed in order for people to actually multiply disciples. So that was a huge takeaway. I loved his example about feeding my sheep does not mean that you give them everything. We need to teach people how to feed themselves. He talked about re-gospeling people. Um, what does that actually mean to, to shift their allegiance from self to Christ? And one of the takeaways I have for you as we wrap up this episode is I want you to ask yourself in your presentation of the gospel, as you share Jesus with people, are you asking them to shift allegiance from self to Christ? Is that included or are you asking, you're offering them a way to get to heaven? Right. Because sometimes we think the gospel, like Roy said, is just what happened in those three days. And we're not talking about what it means to follow Jesus in the way that we give that invitation. So think about that. And if it's not there, take time to kind of reevaluate and rewrite out or re begin, you know, repractice, start thinking about your presentation of the gospel, how you go about doing that, and how you want to make sure that that shift of allegiance and a call to that is actually included. And then again, the last thing I want to ask you to do is ask yourself that question, who am I responsible for when it comes to lostness? Just like a missionary like myself might say, I feel called to the Thai people of Northern Thailand, or I might feel called to this particular people group. Who are the people that God has called you to? 
what's that circle of responsibility and accountability? You're going to be accountable to go after lostness in that group of people. Who are those people? Think about that, pray about it, write it down, journal it, and then share it with somebody else and begin to intentionally engage in reaching those people with the kingdom of God. God bless you guys. We'll see you back in the next episode. That's all we've got for this episode of the Dare to Multiply podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, on Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you tune in to listen. Also, make sure to link up with us at dmmsfrontiermissions.com slash blog on social media. And please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. Until next time, remember, God's dreams for us are always bigger than we can imagine.